Hello and welcome to the Football Film Cast. We're back and badder than ever. And we've got a great film for you to discuss. And with me this week to extol the virtues are Matt Guy. Hello, how are we doing? We've got Richard Hobbs. Hello, everyone. And we've got Stu Hall. This time it really is a great film. It really is a great film. And unlike last time, you haven't had to wait like six months for another episode. Really hope everybody enjoyed The Damned United. But today we're here to discuss something quite different. We're here for the big Dave Batista starring in the West Ham-centric film Final Score. Described on IMDb as... After deadly terrorists abduct his niece at a soccer match, an ex-soldier with lethal fighting skills wages a one-man war to save her and prevent mass destruction. And it sounds something like this. You know who I am? Yes. Good. Dimitri. Tell me where he is. The atmosphere is electric. West Ham's last ever match here. Come on! You know nothing about football. Emotions running high in what promises to be a dramatic dogfight. Locker's done. Gates are jammed shut. No one in or out at the moment. Can you take me up to the control room? How come you've got Ron's badge on? Anyone on this frequency? What are we dealing with? We know Dimitri Bella. He is somewhere in this stadium. If this location is not given to us, we will detonate the explosives. The clock is ticking. Tick. Dock. That's C4. You mean like highly explosive C4? It's gonna be alright. I'm covered in blood and carrying explosives, but don't worry about it. Arcady doesn't care about the casualties. As soon as he has Dimitri, the blow the stadium. What if we get to him first? They'll be coming for you, so watch yourself. How many? Count it ten. Three less than 20 minutes ago. Sometimes you have to sacrifice the thing you love for the greater good. So, as we're recording in October, and obviously October is the season of the witch, today's warm-up question is a simple one. Recommend me a film about witches. Stu? Can I just cheat and just say the witch? <laughs> because... oh, the um, the vi- Vivich. So the one the... from like five years ago, which had two Vs at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one, excellent. One of the most excellent horror films of the last... 20 years? Is that too much of a stretch to say? Because it's... I it's absolutely loved it. I loved it. Yeah. It's it's weird. It's a bit... What is the genre? It's kind of a genre on its own. It's this kind of weird, like, out there kind of trippy horror. It's, it's yeah, not psych- it's... psychological. It's not kind of in your face. It's a bit of everything. It's its own messed up world. It's all of its own making. Them, yeah, kind of, them it's, four it's... films. It kind of reminds me of a field in England. It's got that sort of... It's a period piece, but with... Not quite otherworldly, but not quite of this world horror tropes to it. Really yeah, good it, choice, though. It's it's in it's strange enough to um, 
to have its own. I mean, you, you could put it with the. Um, obviously, he's only made two films and the Lighthouse so far. Um, but then our favourite is Midsummer. That's obviously in the same genre of weirdness. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. When you said it, I mean that was what stood out to me because that was the one I watched last. So I'll take the easy option. <laughs> Fair enough. Rich, what have you got? So I'm, I'm going to say I didn't misread the question. I actually <laughs> took it quite literally, and it says a, a film with witches in it or a witch in it. So I am denied because I'm I'm. For, for probably my sins, I guess, in this group, I'm not a massive fan of horror movies. Mm. It's not really been ever something I've really kind of got into. So I was in the night, I go, do I go Hocus Pocus? I think no. And so I've settled on Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. That, that's a top film. And to be fair, I didn't yeah. say it had to be horror, so yeah, I fully it's endorse it. that one. Um, number one, running order. I've got him. Um, over phone just to double check because when she was like film about witches I was like shit um, <laughs> so, so, yeah I think Princess Bride I think you know it's not exactly going to be um, the hottest take in the world to say it is a bloody brilliant film mm-hmm. and arguably one of the uh, I guess most quotable um, rom-coms for one uh, it's not even a rom-com yeah. it's, it, it's a comedy with a romantic story within it, but it, it, it it's a wonderful film. Um, yeah. and I feel like you know, if, if we're gonna sort of have one involving a witch, I don't think it can uh, go um, unsaid. No, that is absolutely fair. Uh, so Matt, what is your wishy film? Um, honorable mention the fact that they are doing a remake of The Witches with Anne Hathaway. Um, which is, I think it's going to be a Disney plus streamable thing. I don't, it might not be Disney okay. plus, but really looking forward to that because I, the witches absolutely terrified me when I was yeah. young. I went to see it at the Grand Theatre and I, my nan had, yeah. had to take me out because I was so scared. I can imagine. Um, I saw it not too long ago again and it, it still gets you. It is very terrifying, the ending. Uh, and that was the worst 21st birthday of my life, that was. <laughs> and um, But no, my, my actual film... Um, would be to the 2011 film um, Cabin in the Woods. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I can't even tell you about the bit when there's a witch in it because it'll actually <laughs> ruin the film. Um, but there is a witch in it amongst a lot of other ghouls and, and, and so on and so forth. But it's a really, it, it pokes fun at the genre itself um, and it goes beyond the fourth wall really and discusses kind of some of the cliches and tropes within kind of horror and tries to just play on the fact that you've you've seen it all before in in, in films like Scream, etc., where you have you know the jock and the and the virgin and the and the fool and and everything. Mm-hmm. Nice job. And then the ending is something completely original that I hadn't seen before. Um, so I'll go out your way to watch it. I don't think you'll be disappointed. It's a great choice. I, I do like it. It's um it's a lot smarter than mm-hmm. you actually think it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, great one. Uh, my recommendation. Because we've basically watched a B-movie for this, I've gone for a B-movie-style recommendation. It's a film called Season of the Witch. Oh, it's... the Romero one. No, no, the um, the one from, is it 2011, I think it was? And it's starring our favourite Nick Cage. And it's also got the film cast stalwart Stephen Graham in. It's the kind of film you can properly just rip to shreds. It's <laughs> awful, but it's an enjoyable experience if you're just there to have a bit of a giggle at something bad. So that would be uh, 
my recommendation. What was so that we'll one? go on to... So, so Season of the Witch was 1973, the one I was thinking of, George A. Romero. Oh, no, no, it's the one... Is it? I think it was 2011, the, uh, the Nick Cage one. It's sort of like a faux swords and sandals kind of... Uh, <laughs> It's a, Ron Perlman's in it as well. It's oh, a bit of a shock. Every, every box took ticked for that one. Exactly. It, it's fun, but shockingly bad. <laughs> uh, so we'll move on to the final score. This was released jointly by Sky and it was put into cinemas both on the same day. It was the 7th of September 2018. And unlike now, the real world was in a right mess. There was political chaos in the UK and the US as the Democrats won back the House and Theresa May gambled and completely shit the bed. Uh, the hashtag MeToo movement started a shockwave, which we're still feeling the effects of now. And reporter Jamal Khashoggi was murdered by, and I should put this diplomatically, the brutal murderous bastard Saudi <laughs> Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. September 18 was also when the season was just getting underway. The Premier League goal of the month was scored by Daniel Sturridge. The player of the month was Eden Hazard. And the Premier League manager of the month was none other than Nuno Espirito Santo. Wolves were starting their first season back amongst the elite of British football. The season ended with a seventh place finish, FA Cup semi-final and a guarantee of European football for the first time in 30 odd years. Surely, fellas, this is the best season of our lifetime. There's been no, nothing quite up there with that one for me yet. Every time we've done this and um, we've you've linked back to walls of the time and it's always, always been shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought, there's nothing to say about this one because it was the best year of our lives. <laughs> yeah, it was a thing of beauty. It was, it was almost like an artist painted it. It was that fantastic. Mm. You'll never take away the, the feeling of that uh, United um, quarterfinal. Like they'll, that'll never go now. As far as like, until I'm senile and I'm pissing the pissing the bed, I'll always have that, and I'll always <laughs> smile. And I'll, there's there's a picture on my Instagram of like, I was going through a really like mental um, challenging time, and there's a picture of me on with just this huge grin on my face. And oh my god, I, I get I get shocked, like I get goosebumps thinking about that match now. Just how great that season was, and every every single week was just something just extra, just fantastic. Really, really hard to replicate. It is. It is. So, for the older listeners, you probably already know the score, but any new ears, the film cast is here to rank every football film ever made based upon the five pillars of what makes a great footballing movie. And that would be the cultural impact, the footballing authenticity, the football stars, the non footballing story, and your overall enjoyment of the film. So, I think we should start with the non footballing story because, let's be honest, that makes up the vast majority of this film. <laughs> to call this a football film is, it's very loose, isn't it? I mean, it's a football film in the way that the Titanic is about a film about uh, boats, I think. It counts, boy. It counts just about. Just about, yes, absolutely. But I've got to say, I really enjoyed it. It was, it's not the most challenging of plots. It basically starts off with Dave Batista going to visit the daughter of his deceased captain in the army, yeah. and then shit breaks loose. Stop you there, Andy. It doesn't start with that, does it? It starts with a backlog about the Russian, a civil war happening <laughs> in Russia. <laughs> and then yeah. it 
then cuts to Dave Batista, the American soldier who is who then comes over to England to see his deceased best mate's family. But that's how it starts, which is already, shall we say, convoluted at best, in my opinion. And the um, the substitute Russian city is very similar to the one from uh, the MCU as well, which I yeah fireworks. <laughs> I thought you just got trained on sort of the word MCU. No, uh, he gets excited <laughs> like everyone should. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I thought I thought they said Sokovia. I thought what is this linked? Is this, is this canon? See, I, I I heard something else. I thought this. I thought I'd flicked over to the terminal. With Tom Hanks. I thought that was how that started. <laughs> That's why he's like locked in the airport. But I've got to say, I thought it was quite an interesting opener to a film that all I knew about it was that it's been described as die hard in a football ground. So to give us something a little bit different, it just sort of, I don't know, it just wasn't what I was expecting. So I quite enjoyed that little sojourn to, to Russia almost. I like yeah, it was... how it flipped to um, two tribes. Is that Frankie goes to Hollywood? Like, is that... Yeah. Um, and then I thought, oh, now it's going to be like the business. Now we're getting into the actual, it's going to start showing hooligans and it's going to be Green Street and Football Factory mm. and everything else. Um, and I thought, okay, now, now, now we're going. And then he jumps in that taxi and starts slagging off football. I thought, oh, okay, here we go. So obviously we get to the football ground and then Big Dave somehow gets taken away from his niece and whilst looking for her he ends up in one of my favorite scenes in this film was this fight scene that was set just purely in an elevator it, it wasn't even a big elevator they just about squeezed three people in there and they started kicking lumps out of each other i thought that was really it, well it done proper um captain america winter soldier yeah, yeah. <laughs> wasn't it where you know it, he's already like a bit unsure about what's happening. He's not. He knows something's gonna go down, and everyone knows something's gonna go down. It's not gonna just be a fake out. And you know, I, I'd I'd made the note about the um, about the fight scene in the elevator because say it was a so cramped, so there was barely any room for them to like actually scrap it out. But also with um, the other actor, uh, the other character, Faisal. Uh, Faisal, mm. I, Faisal I, yeah. They made the, they made a joke in the film. And I still messed it up. Uh, <laughs> Faisal, and um, you know, so he's almost getting in the way a lot of the time. And it wasn't, you know, it, this film has got its flaws. And I think, j- judging by the reactions of Andy when I gave my initial scores, I'm probably in the minority and probably going to be the most vocal about them. Uh, <laughs> but the action scenes were done really well. Yeah. Like surprise it, and don't get me wrong. Like we've all watched enough action films to see a, you know, a um, action scene go down in a kitchen, in like and, and stuff like that. But actually, there were some really kind of cool takes in it in terms of like you know having to sort of put his hand in the deep fat fry to get the knife and stuff like that. And you know, I, I thought. The action bits worked really well, and the and the, um, the bike chase. All right, it's completely ludicrous. Wouldn't <laughs> happen in the football stadium. But again, it sort of links back. You know how you know they played two tribes uh, again, 
and it, it, that, both bits were really good, but I thought the plot was not great. It seemed very, it it felt like they had an idea to essentially do another Die Hard. Um, yeah. But like we needed to sell it for a UK audience because I was trying to work it out. There was no feasible reason that couldn't have let's see let's say been shot in an American football stadium or basically any other sporting venue in the world. <laughs> it was we need to get somehow Russian people to a sporting event so we can use a stadium. Mm. And I was sort of like, well, you know, this um, this war criminal is has gone into hiding for the past ten years, was it? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. But he needs to go to watch Europa League qualifiers. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But you have, you have got that situation where Osama Bin Laden went to Arsenal all the time. So... <laughs> yeah, but that was pre-2001. <laughs> he could have done stuff before then. We just don't know. <laughs> well, we have, we have to question the validity of this film with the fact that West Ham are in supposedly the Europa League semi-final. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? I mean that that's lost a point in, in itself, really. I thought the plot was, yeah, you know, it was. Um, it could have been anywhere in the world, and it is a bit of a diehard ripoff. But I think I, I quite enjoyed. Um, I quite enjoyed it. I think the reason I put my like the the plot as a three, I believe, on my on my score is that it held itself um, pretty well as he you know eliminates one by one. He's he, the, the the end of level bosses as he goes through the you know the 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 uh the hierarchy of the of the mobsters or the or the um the bad guys in this film and i think it was it was pretty well done the comic elements were done not too sparingly but they wasn't shoehorned in as well to make it actually just a bit of a silly nonsense i think the comic elements were were pretty well done as well and you know it's one of those popcorn films that you don't have to really pay too much attention to. But at the same time, if you do blink, you will miss actually something quite visually, visually exciting, even if it makes absolutely no sense. And there's no way that the crowd wouldn't see half the stuff that happened, <laughs> which is really like just yeah, bizarre. I, I mean, I gave it free as well for sort of similar reasons, actually. Like, I do think you say it, it could have happened anywhere. And, you know, the, 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 the logic of the plot, is a little bit wonky, but it it, it does sort of follow a a, a thread, as you say. Like it, it kind of everything is sort of there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not just that. You know, it. You know, it's not just sort of a case of it's being done randomly. Um, so I really enjoyed all of that. Um, and it, 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 you know, one thing I did enjoy um, is. In sort of the first half of an hour, I did sort of almost do a checklist of stereotypes of London slash football stadiums. <laughs> like the first, what, 10, 15 minutes of the film, you look, you go to London. I think they showed a shot of London Eye. Um, yeah, goes yeah in the a, gherkin. Yeah, they do gherkin. Gets in a black cab, goes to a very British pub, goes to a football ground. They're basically the underground. <laughs> It is just like almost pay. It's like, what would happen if you, you know, if you just asked a random stranger, look, you go into London, what might you see? And mm. it's it's it all. It's got it all. Talk sports on the radio in the taxi as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, I thought Dave Batista 
was really good. And like, I think they did a really good job of, you know, what I'm thinking of this is probably like the first film he's been the sort of the lead character. It's the first film he's been the lead character that has sort of gone to the cinemas. He's you know a few sort of straight to DVD films that never did anything. This is the first one that's had a little bit of something about it. Because I think sort of beyond this, obviously, he's known for his sort of his pre-acting career being in, in wrestling. And then I, I guess anyone lot like myself, who's not massively interested, knows him from Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. So, uh, you know, when we're sort of talking about those comic moments, he's obviously a very sort of dry whip when he's performing. Mm. And I'm a bit anxious. Is it literally just going to be like a human version of Drax? Just... <laughs> And, yeah, you know, sort of. And it, it it kind of was, but it was it did feel a bit separate. Um, Is that about Drax? He looks bigger than when he's playing Drax. He looks massive yeah. in this. He's absolutely, yeah. absolutely huge. I mean, he stood next to like skinny smackhead looking folks, though. To be fair, so I suppose <laughs> that helps. Apart from the apart from the one guy who, with the tattoos on his head who looked like his arms were sellotaped on. I've seen him in so many things. He's unbelievable, that dude is. Why is it? Why are his arms up here when he's above his shoulders? Yeah, he's he, he just taken from his neck as well. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Again, a note I made the like because he looked like the hardest henchman, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. He, he, so I kind of assumed he'd die a good way into the film. Most likely, he'd have killed, you know, um. Batista's sidekick sort of thing. So that's usually what happens, isn't it? Mm. But he dies inexplicably early. Like he yeah. just he dies in what is essentially a second fight scene. Yeah. So I think I, I've seen that dude in quite a few films now, and I think this must be quite early in his career. So whilst he looks like a main eventer, he isn't quite there yet in this part of his career. But he's now at the point where he's almost like the the second in command. Yeah, right, I've got to say, they showed I, him early on as well, and I thought, uh, like I say, you look at the size and you're like, it, it'll be a proper ding dong between those two, mm. and they sort of save that for the the female um, antagonist Tatiana. I was yeah. a bit was not disappointed because I, I quite enjoyed sort of their uh, their running, um, but yeah, for that for that was interesting um, again sort of take on it. Mm. Uh, Modern world, eh? Modern world. Yeah. It's all, it's all I've got to say, like, I'm a big fan of a genre film. I, I like ones where they try and play within the, the set rules of whatever genre it's supposed to be. And I felt that this film, it did that. But as you say, it tried to throw in a few subversions of it. So the second in command was a woman. That is very unusual. We don't generally see that. So I felt that it, it, it was a genre film, but it also tried to push boundaries slightly, which... It had no reason to, let's be perfectly honest. This was a film to try and get Sky Cinemas up and going as a, a, a thing in in British cinema, I suppose. So mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed this film. I thought the actual story itself was just good, mindless fun. Yeah, you had, and so you had the um, his daughter as well being a bit of a bit of a wild wild child as well, not just an innocent little kid. Like mm. the, uh, the the headbutt and stuff and um, pushing that dickhead bloke who she was with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why? Why? You got to question his motives when it's a it's a European semi final and he's trying to get his end away under the stand amongst the rubbish. <laughs> you think there's, 
You shouldn't be getting a ticket for these kind of games if you, if this is what you want. Well, one nil down at this point, mate. You know, the North Bank would have emptied at this point. So, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, this kind of thing. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've said that on here and uh, Cage Fighting, check it out. Um, where Die Hard is my favourite film of all time, and this was when as soon as I read that in Die Hard and football, well. It, it ticks every single box. <laughs> you even had him when he was um, writing the names of the people down on his arm, exactly like John McClane. <laughs> now, this was sort of my sticking point in the film, and I can't have said it um, before we started recording. It's what's your cutoff point between a motif and basically copying? Because Die, Die Hard's almost set. Well, it, you know, literally, there are films which, as said, die hard in a football stadium. It almost kind of has defined almost a action genre of sort of, you know, being locked in with the baddies. Um, so for me, I almost found it not annoying because we talked about actually, it's not a stupid film. Like, it does some fairly smart um, subversions, as we said. So, did he need to just sort of essentially? copy Die Hard or did you mm. see it as um, inspiration rather than yeah that's what as, yeah. as being the number one Die Hard fan in the world this I mean my PSN account name is John McClane's Vest so you can add me on PlayStation if you want um, <laughs> for that reason because I love Die Hard so much and I thought oh, that's a nice touch because it, it wasn't like it wasn't like Force Awakens being a remake of The New Hope where it's just it's almost scene for scene. It wasn't completely like that. There was just odd odd nodes to it, and I liked it being like that. I thought it was quite a cute way to do things because there was no like watching people falling out of windows and all that kind of thing, and it weren't machine guns and jumping through glass and the shoes. It it weren't every single thing that you could think of of Die Hard in this film. There was just the odd the odd nod to it, which I liked. Yeah, I, it was more of a homage for me than than anything. I mean, yeah. a lot of the things that happened that you probably associate with Die Hard, you know, rightly or wrongly, are going to happen anyway in any scenario if this was ever realistic in any capacity. The police would swarm in and somebody, you know, you are <laughs> going to communicate with the outside world. There's no, there's no way of getting around it. That's just how these things would go. So, um, but then again, I'm not as... Um, I'm not as big into kind of those 80s slash early 90s um, big arm flexing action films as Stewie's. So I haven't seen as many as he probably has. Um, so for yeah. me, for me, for me, it seemed quite like you know quite fresh and quite quite exciting. Virgin on ridiculous. Don't get me wrong in some in some parts, but um, the um, like it's silly little things like. Um, when uh, he's with Dimitri and he's running through the concourse before he gets into the toilet, and the bad guys just shoot at Will, like not like <laughs> not trying not to hit him, just trying to hit Batista. Do you know what I mean? Silly little things like that. And then I was thinking about this. I was like, I don't know it, explosives in any capacity, but if you stuck a phone in a piece of C4, is that enough to make it explode? Is that a thing? Um, well, it, you, it, it, he said Dave, that you and. It, you need an, an accelerant or something. And mm. if you sh- shoot the phone and make it spark, then I suppose in, in theory it would do. Mm. I'd assume the bullet would be able to do the job on the C4 to make it ignite rather than needing the, a, a spark from a phone. But 
But he twist a bullet yeah. into in into explosive, and he's done. It was a yeah. way for him to throw a phone. That's yeah. All he <laughs> yeah, that's literally all it was. See what they should have done is done like a thirty-three ten, shot the bullets, and let it ricochet off the phone <laughs> into, <laughs> into somebody else. Yeah. So I think that's a good point to move on to the football in authenticity now. Now, there isn't actually a lot of football in this film. There's like a few two or three second interstitials between what's going on in the crowd. So for me, the authenticity comes from the setup of the actually being there. I felt when we were outside of the ground and it was all sort of it was bustling, they did make it feel almost like when when we've been to some big games, it did have that frenetic feel. The, the crowd seemed to be quite excited and up for the fact that it was a big match. I thought it was a it was good footballing authenticity from a fan's point of view, more so than from a footballing point of view personally. Stu, what, what do you think? Yeah, I had exactly the same thing. I thought, well, it, it was it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have surprised me if they filmed that during games just to get that kind of feel and then just mm. shot a few things like they did with goal and just like jumped in for 15 minutes here and there. So it would have been an actual crowd. I'm, I'm guessing. I, mean, I don't know, but um, it did look re- that looked real. It didn't seem out of place. The the actual shots on the pitch. My usual thing about goalkeepers that there was a couple of moments, but they they didn't show them. So thought, oh, well, nice way to get around things. And having Jonathan Pierce as well, I think that worked well because he's he's got his acting yeah. shots with Robot Wars and things like that that he's done in the past and. Just like it, it's authentic because it could possibly be for the brief moments that we had on screen, have you? Mm. Yeah, so I was going to say, I I was less frightened towards it, chiefly because there wasn't any football, and the football that was there, it was very, you know, unlike some of the other stuff that we've watched, which has been, I guess, sort of semi-clips and, you know, or it's been you know, actors who dabble in football or things like this. I tried to sort of dig and find out who was actually, you know, because it was just make-believe West Ham players. Because I I was, like, pausing it, and I was like, Garver playing right back there, it's all good Garver. You know, (laughs) they've got a lot of fullbacks in their time. Um, But um, it was when they were sort of uh, jumping. To be fair, it was when he was jumping from one stand to the other. But they did do a free kick going in. But was in four takes, mm. of which I'm pretty sure between take three and four, like the trajectory of the ball just, it was like a Ronaldo <laughs> free kick all of a sudden. Um, you know, I, I, I get the point in terms of match atmosphere, but, uh, you know, the, in the build up outside the stadium, it did almost have that feel of it. But as soon as they were in kind of the confines of the stadium, you know, even things like what was going on, um, you know, obviously it has to be filmed, but, you know, where we're doing the shots on the stand and, you know, you know, you guys know as well, do you? you can't just really move seats on, you know, in, in a semi-final. It's <laughs> yeah. one, yeah, come sit by us. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I sort of review my, uh, my score because one thing sort of looking back on it, I, I did like... Um, I guess it sort of does go into the football authenticity. Um, what was sort of the, the abuse the stewards get? <laughs> and, like, <laughs> in disregard for like essentially their authority. 
um, because Black sort of hits it, hits the nail on the head. Mm. Um, it, it, it was sort of tough for this film, though, chief, chiefly because you say it's not really about the football, so it's I guess sort of anyone sort of in and around it. Um, you know, it does sort of make out that, that there are actually very few people who work in a football stadium, though. <laughs> yeah. It, it does feel like it is for people, you know, literally, it's security and the 20 odd players, you know, 22 players mm. and staff on the pitch. You know, it doesn't yeah. have like all the other people, you know, it didn't have, you know, say for the, uh, you know, for, for any of the fight scene, you know, especially sort of the fight scene in the hospitality bit, you know, but they didn't have any of the VIPs go, you know, you don't have, mm. um, you know, um, the dildo brothers pop out and, and just go, <laughs> yeah. you know, what's happening. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Matt, I think you gave it a three, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I did. Um, I did. What, what's your opinions on it? Where did I you thought, get your score from? Well, I thought you, you're right again about the, um, <clears throat> the the atmosphere at the outside of the ground. But I thought actually, you know, it's clear that they've used a legitimate stadium somewhere. I don't know which stadium they've used, but they've, they've used some form of um, entertainment event or a stadium. Um, you know, the li- little things really like, you know, me and, you know, me and Batista are a similar frame, believe it or not. <laughs> so I've had trouble getting through those turnstiles like him as well. Um, but I thought that was like a nice little thing of like him trying to get through the turnstiles. We've all had that in the, in the Steve Bull upper and lower. That was like the, like the older <laughs> style um, turnstiles. And, I thought they did a good job of that, and the the shots were done in a really nice way um, over the stadium, and and the, the crowds were okay. So when he's when he's eventually with the Dynamo, oh, I keep wanting to say Dynamo like red or like an actual team, but they're not, are they? No, um, they're from. So you can yeah. yeah. So there, that that bit was a little hokey because they were, I don't know. They weren't quite like lunatic fans, but they also like as soon as they've conceded, they were just kind of like clapping along as if they were just like there, like a tourist was there, like like they've just been given mm. some tourist tickets for free. Um, I thought it was I thought it was okay. Having Jonathan Pierce gives it literally an extra point because it gives it a bit of legitimacy. Mm. Um, and all I could think about was Robot Wars, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> but. For, uh, shortest amount of time, like a split second, I thought, he's one of the bad guys, Martin Skirtle. But then he wasn't. Sadly, which would have given it a, a point in an area where it desperately needed it for me, which would have been footballing stars. Uh, yes, yes. That, that takes us on nicely then to footballing stars. Thank you. So we had, it's almost like we planned it, <laughs> Rufus Brevitt and Tony Cotty. Have I missed anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> you miss yeah. the presenter, Matt Lorenzo, who used to be on Sky, he used to be on Soccer AM all the time. The guy I, who got... I never even clocked him. Yeah. I was going to say, they got shot. Um, um, they, all did, they all got shot, didn't they? Sort of yeah. very, uh, very elaborately, <laughs> from what I can remember. Yeah, because Matt, Matt Lorenzo used to be, you know, when uh, Russ Williams used to work on Sky as well, like, at mid 90s. This is like right. this is really niche Sky Sports team, yeah. 1998 kind of talk here. But yeah, there used to be a, a gang of them. Like Matt Lorenzo used to be. It's Matthew Lorenzo in the credits of this, so he's upgraded. Um, he used to do soccer, soccer extra and stuff on Sundays and things like that. And 
I thought, oh, I ain't seen him for years. Well, I presume he works for BN or Premier League TV or something like that now. But yeah, he, he was in like a proper presenter. For a I mean, that time. is such a throwback. I I probably would have forgotten him if he walked up to me and said, hello, I'm Matt yeah. Lorenzo. <laughs> so, so here's the question, actually. So what, what time do you say sort of, I guess, years? So mid-90s, mid-late 90s? I'd guess so, yeah. So no, I remember him doing ITV, but when was this film set? Are we still assuming around sort of 2016 to 2018? Well, it's it. They even say at the beginning that it's the last game at the bowling ground, so it's when so, West Ham moved out of um, Upton Park. So, one of the things, literally, the first note I made on this was um, in the girls' bedroom. There was a West Ham poster which was from like the late nineties, early noughties with Julian Dix. <laughs> yeah, and it was a bit like. When, you know, when you see it, you're like, it's almost like we've kind of gone West Ham cult heroes poster mm. and just found the first one. And it's really interesting. But it says, I, I'm, I'm, I remember Matt Lorenzo's sort of, I'm sure he used to be on like ITV or like even Satanta back in the day. Um, but yeah, there were sort of some really niche, like, nine, like, I say, Around the turn of the millennium, throwbacks in that regard. Mm. Yeah, but that you could explain that away with that person could have been a dad's. Because I mean, yeah, I've got Steve. I've got yeah. Steve, Bull, Steve Bull things over there. <laughs> he retired <laughs> in 1999, so <laughs> that could be one of them things. Yeah, but I've, I've got to say, like, I just about remember Rufus Brevis as a player. I remember him more from Fulham than West Ham. So for me, I, I nearly gave this category a zero. But when I think back to Tony Cotty, he is a legitimate West Ham legend. From When I first got into football, so it would have been West Ham, would have been um, Harry Redknapp's team at that point. And I think Tony Cotty was one of the first players I remember scoring three goals in a game. So I've given them a one for this category purely because of Tony Cotty. I don't really think they deserve anything else. Cause... I was going to say, I've shifted mine up to one. Um, just because I go, yeah, it had some, and it not that it couldn't, it should have more, but you know, it could have done cutaways to a bench or something like that, or say it could have had the Dildo Brothers in there, um, just something, yeah, you know, just something just that would make it, I I guess, more 20, you know, 2018 relevant rather than 1999 Mm. relevant. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, so I think we should just have a quick break there and then we'll come back with the cultural impact and our overall enjoyment of the film. Hi everyone, Matt from Walls Fancast here. If you're anything like me, time is of the essence these days. How am I meant to take training with my wonder kids on the managerial football simulation game that I'm not allowed to mention for legal reasons if I'm too busy worrying about my online media presence? Well, that's where our friends at PixelYetiMedia.com come in. They're not just web designers. They're a creative agency that cover all of your design needs from websites, brochures and signage to marketing, logo design and branding. So go check them out at PixelYetiMedia.com. They'll get you set up quicker than a Dharma Traore running at a terrified left back. Speaking of which, who's got my baby oil? So, the cultural impact. Now, Matt, 
I think there's only you and I who were the uh, the big wrestling fans in this group. Mm-hmm. And I think most of the cultural impact probably comes from the fact that it's big Dave Batista in the mm-hmm. role. Yeah. I mean, I've got to say, I really like Batista. I, I do, yeah. I was never really particularly fussed either way when it came to wrestling with him. But going out into the world, and he's actually like putting the effort to make himself into a legitimate actor now. Mm-hmm. So that's where my cultural impact comes from, is the fact that they've got Dave Batista doing his first starring role in a film that has made it to the cinema. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I scored this, I think, a two, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Not not glowing um, reviews on it, but oddly enough, me and uh, Andy were talking about this earlier. I did my dissertation at university on The Wrestler, the film The Wrestler, sorry, uh, the Mickey Rourke mm. uh, film, and one of the key themes that I wrote about was um, how, about kind of masculinity and in wrestling to be battered and bruised and bloody is actually a sign of uh, masculinity and, and strength within the world of pro wrestling. And one thing I think Batista does really well in his action films is he gets beaten up better than any other Hollywood actor. <laughs> he's convincing <laughs> when he's getting the shit kicked out of him, believe it or not. And that, you know, that comes from his wrestling background. Like when he's getting battered by that huge brute in, in, in one of the first fight scenes, you believe it. He's really good at getting his ass kicked, but still coming across as a badass. Um, and his, his tough, grunting persona isn't lifeless either. It's, it's funny, it's humorous, even though, you know, he, he does quite a lot with what he's given with characters. When he's in his more comedic roles as well, like Stuber, um, mm. which was, I really enjoyed that. Really yeah, enjoyed it. Same. And, um, you know, obviously as Drax as well in Guardians of the Galaxy, he, he steals the show without doing a lot or, or being given a lot to work with. Um, so I was really, really, really impressed with him in this film. I thought he, um, he was an excellent choice. It could have been a lot more wooden, if um, it was anybody else, it would have been just a bit run of the mill. And it might, just, it might just be unconscious bias because of, you know, liking him from a wrestling background. And it's just one more Hollywood name. You know, John mm. Cena is now coming into his own in, in, some, in some films and being quite likable. You know, John Cena was excellent in Cockblockers and in Daddy's Home too. Um, yeah. So, yeah, really, really enjoyed him in this. Sadly, that's where my enjoyment ended from a cultural impact <laughs> point of view. There's not much else in there that, that, that really grabbed me, except for one joke that's made by Faisal at the end to get that crowd moving. <laughs> Literally had me laughing out yeah. loud because it was just, it was the perfect comic timing and it was perfectly done in a completely unoffensive way as well i just thought it was excellent um yeah. but apart from that you know the, the film doesn't offer a lot from a cultural impact point of view so, it, so i gave it a two i had two other points on the cultural impact um the next one i've got is for a west ham fan this is an excellent way to sign off leaving the uh the bowling ground <laughs> Yeah, I suppose it is. Like, legitimately, you could like say, oh, yeah, we've got video evidence that we had to leave and go to a new stadium because our old stadium exploded. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. And that does leave a bit of a legacy, specifically for West Ham, obviously. It doesn't have much of a wider reach. But I did enjoy that. And the other point I've got is actually on the, the machinations of cinema now. So it was released on the same day, streaming and in the cinema. 
and we seem to be slightly going that way now in in the real world that's very much what we're doing with obviously i know we're forced to due to the pandemic but this is the first time that we've seen that happen and it's been a moderate success they know that they can put films out via streaming services and get the views that they want so for me those were the two other cultural impacts uh, the the legacy of this film uh Stu, have you got anything to, to add when I asked, and I mentioned this film to a couple of people, they had no clue what it was, what I was even on about, which is not great for this kind of this segment, <laughs> is it? And I, had to, I said, yeah, Dave Batista, you know, the big blue guy from Guardians. In, in what? Obviously, they know they know Drax, but they don't. No one, hardly anyone, has heard of this film, and it's like buried in Sky Cinema vault, you know, mm. kind of in a way, because it's. Because I remember, I remember them adverts coming on saying in cinemas and Sky Cinema jointly, and I didn't have Sky Cinema at the time. I still ain't, um, and I never went to watch it either, even though this is exactly my kind of film. So it was one of them where it was just lost for cinema goers because it wasn't pushed at the cinema that much. It was pushed on telly, and then people who haven't got the channel don't watch it on telly because they haven't got the channel. So yeah, and I think what... that was um, that's very much borne out when you look at the uh, the box office so it was a 20 million dollar budget and it only recouped 776,000 <laughs> um but obviously you can't really judge it on the box office because it wasn't a box office film it was a tv film ultimately yeah it was an experiment in that that for that reason it didn't work for the cinema version but no i mean uh, you look at it I've, from how good Faisal was in this i would have expected him to be in other things since and I don't recognise him. I've um, seen him in the odd thing here and there, but not a massive amount. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, I mean, it should have more of an impact just for Pierce Brosnan's accent, which we've gone nearly 40 minutes without even mentioning. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking say, Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> I was going to say, when, like, again, like before watching it, I, you know, went on Wikipedia and IMDb, just, and it's like, Pierce Brosnan's like second billing. I'm like, mm. oh, shoot, he's going to play the baddie. And what, how long did it take for him to actually it, it, to get featured or recognised? Um, it was a good chunk of the way through. And I think uh, kind of, we've kind of moved on from it. But in terms of sort of storyline, you know, they focus so much on his dead best friend. Was it might have just been the Pierce Brosnan link back? But I was sort of thinking that dead, that dead best friend is going to be alive and he's going to be um, he's going to be the villain, isn't he? <laughs> and they're like, no, no, you're just getting Pierce Brosnan stuck in your head. Um, yeah, like a bit of a waste of Pierce Brosnan, would you say? Yeah, it was a bit, but he he's got previous of doing these kind of rocking up for five minutes and just taking a payday, especially at this period of time, like the last ten years. He hasn't done a lot of acting, but he's done a lot of tiny little, little roles. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he could have done this in a weekend, couldn't he? Realistically. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he he lives in... Uh, he doesn't live in London anymore, does he? So he would have had to fly over for this? <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. Because he was... I don't know when he was, um, he was on he was on Lorraine at the start of um, lockdown, talking about the uh, the world's best film, which is... Uh, uh, Matthew? The uh, Eurovision. Yes, exactly. Um, he was... He was <laughs> He was talking about that on the rain, and he was saying about how he was living in LA and all this kind of thing. So, but it, unless he just did have a free weekend and think, "Oh, go on, then I'll do this for a laugh," 
<laughs> but there was there was other things where you think if you dropping a motorbike onto a stand that was built in the 50s <laughs> would the yeah. roof manage to sustain it well enough <laughs> to carry on and it's unlikely isn't it and the away fans are not in that stand either because we've all been to Upton Park there's all these little nonsense bits but culturally it's got one for me because it's got nothing and no one knows it exists sadly yeah it, well, it you, is say, a shame. you say that though me doing my due diligence for this for this podcast, I uh, checked some nefarious torrenting websites just to check, you see. And um, there was a surprising amount of... Um, there was what, sorry? Not that you'd never delve on. In, no, in no, no, this is pure, for purely re, you know, research purposes. There's a yeah. surprising amount of people that are seeding and leeching this film. Um, <laughs> so someone's watching it. Someone's watching it. Just West Ham fans. Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah, just West Ham fans, yeah. If and you look, it's film... like massive in East London. Okay. <laughs> this film is available for one ninety nine in HD rental on Amazon Prime. For anyone who's got this far and not watched it. I'm happy with a 99p I paid to watch it via Amazon Prime. I don't think I'm going to have a pressing need to watch it again anytime soon. You didn't go so... for the buy and keep option then, I take it, where it's going no, to come, thought, come on DVD thought... to your house. <laughs> yeah, I thought you know, I'll cope with the uh, I'll cope with a one-off on this one. <laughs> right. So on IMDb, the fan score was a five point seven. The Metacritic score was a fifty-three. The Rotten Tomatoes audience score was thirty-eight percent, which I think is quite low. Uh, but the Rotten Tomato critic score was seventy-one percent. Mm. Fresh. I expected this to be very fifty-fifty down the line pretty much but so the negative reviews ed poten from the times it would be fun if there was a hint of genuine jeopardy but i mean you tell me any film that's got genuine jeopardy (laughs) it's just they don't have it you know the good guys are gonna win yeah like they could the only thing i could think of is is, as i said they killed somebody off earlier on or halfway through who had some level of significant importance yeah yeah. yeah, that so, that that would have made it a bit better. Jonathan Pyle of Empire Magazine, it's let down by lapses into cliche and by simply not being audacious enough with its action set pieces. They had a what fucking was, motorbike <laughs> on the roof for crying out loud. <laughs> but there were also a few positive reviews. Obviously, we've got a 71%. So Leslie Felperin of The Guardian... Final score puts a cheeky British spin on the setup, and it's hard not to smile when an American character gets thumped for calling sport soccer instead of football. <laughs> and Dennis Harvey of Variety, possibly the least political movie about terrorism ever made. Final <laughs> score has no ambitions beyond pure escapism, and it meets its humble goal. And that sums it up perfectly for me. It is yeah. just pure escapism. Yeah, and that's that's exactly why I gave it five out of five because I thoroughly yeah. enjoyed it. It's completely yeah. ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. It it knows that it is, but it doesn't it doesn't let it in on the joke. It plays everything straight, which makes it even better. Absolutely. In, the, in, in this case, anyway, sometimes it, that doesn't work, but in this case, it works perfectly. And I've I watched it. I've watched it twice in twelve hours, and it's just, <laughs> it's, just, it's magnificent. I mean, the, I will watch this again. So. I'll, most of the films that we've done at this point, it's 
50-50 if I ever watch them again. This one I definitely will. I enjoyed it. I like Batista. He's a believable character in the lead role. He's endlessly likable. He's funny. He's tough. He looks the part. There's no suspension of disbelief with him. He's perfect for the, the position they put him in. And it's the best Die Hard film made since 1988. It's brilliant. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, five stars from me as well, Stu. Absolutely. Hang on. Can we just shaking say, his head. <laughs> Die, Die Harder was 1990. Let's just, just clear that up. This is better than Die Hard 2. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Die Hard 2's got snow as well. It makes it almost better than that. <laughs> so, sometimes I'll flip-flop between the two which I prefer most at Christmas time. No. Can we no. um can we call this podcast Balti Pie Hard or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> just because of how much it's a blatant ripoff. Oh, um, <laughs> I miss Balti Pie so much. <laughs> I gave it um I gave it a four on the basis I enjoyed it. I thought it was um it was a good ride. I probably won't watch it again unless I'm unless like I'm watching it with someone like to say I'll be seeing this. It, this might be a laugh kind of thing um i enjoyed it it uh, was a bit silly at parts you can't take it very seriously but dave batista's performance um brings it up a point at least and i'm glad it didn't go down what the cockney geezer football violence route in, <laughs> in, in pretty much any capacity because yeah. that's been done to death um at this point um no i i, I enjoyed it it's not it's you know it's not the be all and end all of, of action films um but it's certainly not the disgrace that I thought it was going to be when I saw what we were doing in this film when I looked at the front cover and thought, this is going to be enormously shit. It wasn't. <laughs> Rich, what was uh, your thoughts on your overall enjoyment? Would, would you recommend uh, it to people? Probably, probably not. Um, I mean, I, I gave it a three. Overall enjoyment, I gave it a three in the end. Um Similar to Matt, I went in with low expectations. <laughs> you know what? For probably the best part of, well, well, yeah, a third of the film, my expectations were being met at that point. But mm. it did win me over. Um, and there, as I said, there were some really fun parts to it. Uh, but I, I think it was lacking in quite a few different ways. Um, when it kind of comes down to it and you know if you're looking for a I was going to say if you're looking to watch Die Hard watch Die Hard um, you know I what I, I do sort of completely agree with Max I was sort of thinking sort of in the building this so I kept, I kept trying almost draw parallels to Green Street because as I said I, I remember when they filmed it because I think I did sort of a match you know, Dave Batista's a West Ham fan because he watched one game in, in, in doing it. Um, but, you know, I kept sort of drawing parallels thinking, you know, it, how does it sort of compare um, to it in a way? And, you know, it, there's been a few other sort of, say, Cockney geezer football hooligan films, and it did really well to just not, just not bother discussing it or things like that. But I think there could have been some better ways how they could have kind of got to different points in what they're trying to do. Um, mm. Nonetheless, it wasn't completely crap, so I did give it free <laughs> because he said like there was at the end of it there wasn't anything like upsettingly wrong with it, you know. 
it had some it had some really charming moments, it had some good character beats, but I felt actually was quite unfulfilled by the end of it. So, mm. you know, I think I think a three. Will I watch it again? Well, I only spent ninety nine p rather than one pound ninety nine on it, so probably not. But you know what? If it was on, uh, on like you know ten o'clock on ITV two, I'd probably have it on in the background quite happily. Mm. So. Yeah. So it must be a cold day in hell because myself and Stuart have agreed on a film. <laughs> <laughs> so this film, I'm assuming we're all sticking with the scores we sent through earlier. Yeah, correct. Okay. I've, I've shifted mine ever so slightly. So what are you going with now then, Rich? Do you want my total? Just your total, please. Uh, how good can I do maths? Uh, five, six, seven, ten. Ten, right, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so my overall score was a 17. Stu also gave this a 17. Matt came in with a 13. And as you've just heard, Rich is following up with a 10. So the final score for final score is a 57%, which puts this ahead of When Saturday Comes, which was on 54, but behind Goal on 66. I'm a little bit disappointed in Matt and Rich. I had a little worry there that this was going to be getting close to the damn denied for for, for a split second. Well, no, that was like 83% for the I think that is untouchable, if I'm perfectly honest. So I can't imagine anything will come close. If this was if this was yeah, film cast for anything else and it wasn't for a football film, this would have scored a lot higher. Yeah. It's just you can't call it a football. You can't, you can't give it extra points for being a football film. I gave it, I gave it extra points because it's got a wrestler in it. <laughs> like, like forgetting the rules, do you know what I mean? Um, same, same. I mean, I gave it three for non-footballing story, two for footballing and um, authenticity, one for footballing style, one for cultural impact, and I said three for overall enjoyment. I sort of feel like Stu's just see mine and just sort of gone on steroids on it, basically. <laughs> so, and, and two on each one. Yeah, and I've got to be honest, like, Batista is one of those actors that no matter what he's in, he automatically gets three extra points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if it's shit, it's at least a three because Batista's in it. It's the same with Dwayne Johnson. Anything with him in, it's at least a three star purely because he's in it. So, yeah, you probably are right. It's very much it got given the benefit of the doubt because... We, we like the people who made it, I think, maybe. <laughs> As I said, it it could have been a really easy painting by numbers, football, violence, action film. It wasn't. Mm. And, you know, for that, for that, yeah, I gave it what is essentially sort of two, two out, you know, two out of five. But that's kind of not awful in a way. No, I think it's fair. I mean, most of the, the IMDb score was pretty much 50-50, and we've come out at, well, it's 57, which they, they had a 5.7. So we've come out very much as expected, I think, and that's that's completely fair. So to end the episode, I think we'll just throw out a film recommendation each. Uh, Matt, do you want to start us off? Hmm... Um... I was going to talk about Eurovision, um, but <laughs> yeah, let's just talk no. about it anyway. Oh, yeah, please, great, please watch it. <laughs> no, um, I want to talk about in pre- in preparation for for, for another thing that uh, project that me 
um, Stu and Andy are doing um, a film called The House with Will Ferrell. Um, it's one of those kind of little, well, I wouldn't say little unknown films um, by Will Ferrell, but it's certainly not got the uh, fanfare that Anchorman would get or if they brought out, you know, another Zoolander or something like that. Um, do not be put off by this, um, by the reviews of this film. It's excellent. It's a really fun kind of uh, silly suburban story about a couple that need to get um, tuition for their daughter to go to college. So they set up a casino in their home, basically, uh, and all of the pitfalls that happens in, in, in that story. It's really nicely put together. It's got some it's got some really slapstick moments in it. And it, it takes kind of the piss out of middle America. And it's just it's just a good, fun romp without it being anything overly offensive. So if you need something um, kind of popcorn to watch without putting too much into it, and you fancy something new that you haven't seen with Will Ferrell and not watch Anchorman for the 50th time, go and uh, watch The House. I don't like Will Ferrell, and I second that recommendation. Because Jason Manzoukis is in it, and he's mm-hmm. one of my favourite comedic actors right now. And also Amy Poehler, she's just fucking marvellous. So yeah, that's that's a good shout, that is, Matt. Uh, Rich, what what's your recommendation, please? I was going to say, um, actually, it's a really, um, that is a really good shout. And it's, again, sort of similar to, I think, one sort of I've picked out previously in terms of it's almost being like, I say, I like, I was going to say, a relatively light-hearted comedy, but, you know, I, to, I guess sort of, what's the, it's almost similar to Date Night in a way. In terms, mm. it's it's just a stereotypical sort of middle of the road marriage couple, um, just sort of ticking along. Um, I'm a mum. I am a month out when I sort of say this one, but I was sort of thinking V for Vendetta only because I saw it on my shelf recently, and I thought, considering how batshit the world is right now, <laughs> and the way you know, if in a month's time, certain people stay in uh, government in certain. <laughs> I can still, yeah, yeah, right. I'd be interested to see how things go carry on. Um, I guess for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's essentially a vigilante film. Um, so, uh, God, how long? When was it filmed? It's what, uh, what, 2005, I think. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it, ironically, it's supposed to be set in the future, which is about now from when the graphic novel was done. Um, there are probably some sort of touch points that probably hit quite home still now. Um, we just want to say, um, so be careful on it. But again, I, I don't think you can go wrong with it. No, it's a mm-hmm. good, good call, that is. Stu, what's your recommendation? Well, it's nowhere near as deep as that. Um, in keeping with this, um, this kind of theme of diehard-ish films, go and watch the... Uh, Olympus has fallen trilogy again. <laughs> How great they are! For never viewers. seen them. I've never seen oh, them. Oh come on! Oh, come... No, oh, seriously. What? I'll, I'll put it on the list. No, London is just... terrible. Yeah, but you can't watch London has fallen. You have to watch the first one first because it doesn't really make any. You do because he's there's... he will get he'll get... his OCD won't be able to cope if you don't watch the first one. No, I've got to do so... it in order. I've got to do yeah. it in order. Yeah. yeah. So watch them. I mean, watch the watch Olympus definitely. The other two, if you want. Um, but the other one, since we since we, the uh, rom com things got being mentioned, there's the, thinking about couple films, and there's a, a small one from 1983 called Valley Girl. 
that you might have heard of. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Don't do it to yourselves, please. <laughs> but it's a uh, coming of age drama. Go and watch that. <laughs> I say, speaking, I, I didn't want to do it as a recommendation because, well, they're, they're there for a reason. But there's a uh, film on Netflix, which I guess this was the last film I watched. Um, because it's always a bit of a struggle for me because I watch lots of films regularly. But there's a one called Love Guaranteed, um, starring one for Wayne Brothers. Um, and you know what? It's got a really good premise, but it's a man who sues a dating agency um, who can't find love, apparently, despite him being an incredibly attractive man who's gone on a thousand dates and still hasn't found the right woman. Obviously, he falls in love with the solicitor he's hired to um, <laughs> prosecute. Um, and you know what? Me and my wife were really enjoying it up until it just sort of it decided just like properly phone it in for the last like act. And it just completely crumbled. Um so if you want to watch a good film, watch like the first hour of that. I think it's 90 minutes long. <laughs> um, but yeah, just the end it wasn't it even obviously the ending was they were gonna to get together. Everyone, you know, you can see it from literally just before you press play mm. but how it sort of gets there at the end it's just like oh, really um but yeah uh, my recommendation it is basically i saw this film and it's on what is known as netflix for horror it's a streaming service called shudder and it is a 57 minute film called host it is was filmed during lockdown it's basically a seance that was held over zoom and shit goes sideways bad. And I've got to admit, I generally don't get scared in, when I'm watching films. And this one proper got my nerves jangling. It's very well made. It is well worth a watch. And the other film I'd recommend, which is also on Netflix, is a film called Left Behind. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, watch Left Behind and then you can join myself, Matthew and Stuart on our other podcast which is called cage fighting where we discuss films and this week we are actually discussing this film left behind and it is arguably the worst nick cage film that's ever been made so i mean i mean it's it's a big claim but it probably is so what you you need to do is um is listen to that episode soon before the church come for us and ask us to take it down (laughs) (laughs) because we're going to have god soldiers after us i think uh, in a short space of time for some of the uh some of the ranting that goes on especially for my for myself yeah it's uh it was an enjoyable episode to record it just wasn't an enjoyable episode to research but yeah left behind it's available on netflix just watch it and let us know what you think it's a shocker so there we are for another episode of the Football Filmcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Obviously, our back catalogue is available. Uh, if you go into the Wolves Fancast website, you've got the we've got our own dedicated section for the Filmcast. We've also got Hoopsie Stories from the Pack, the Alternative Hall of Fame, and Richie's draft episode, which I think, Rich, we need to do another one uh, going forward, another draft episode. Yes, um, I, I was going to say I have. Um, I will need to find it, but I have fired up the computer before and I have got a list of every Wolves player who played for Wolves in the 2000s. Essentially, just a bit of a teaser, it splits up into two. 
um, because turns out Mick McCarthy used a lot of players because we actually had three. <laughs> we had well, technically, we had four managers in the two thousands. Um, so essentially, it go. I think it is a, a split of uh, Colin Lee players, mm. uh, Dave Jones, uh, Glenn Hoddle, and Mick. But because basically Mick got to the Prem, used a hell of a lot more players. So we'll we'll have a variation. It might be like six from one, five from the other, so you can have a maximum of seven. Haven't quite decided yet, but we'll definitely add it into a rotor. Maybe in the next international break and. Um, it'll be a really good one. Uh, we also have our um, a couple of mental health podcasts on the website as well. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, we are recording this on the uh, the weekend of World Mental Health Day as well. So obviously, if you ever want to chat or anything, just drop us a line to our, our Twitter, which is the at WWFC Fancast, or you can get us on the emails and everything too. We'd love to hear from you. So for this episode, it is goodbye from Matt. Take it easy, guys. Stay safe. It's goodbye from Rich. Sayonara. It's goodbye from Stu. Cody Freeland. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. Mm-hmm.